Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You know, when I found myself here in New York learning this particular field of applied theater, it was because I started to recognize that theater could be a medium for so much more than just entertainment. It's like theater can be for education, for community development, for conflict transformation, And this program of mine really sort of like opened the floodgates for all the different ways we can use this as a medium for social justice work. We need to talk about songs. Somebody has to make conversation. So hello, everyone, and welcome to True. It's our Friday community gathering. It's March 18th, and a couple of things going on in the world, and it's pretty hard for a lot of us to process what's happening. We thought that we had trouble two years ago and we had to process a pandemic. Now we have to process the possibility of a world war. I just want to make reference and acknowledge the fact that we are in support of Ukraine and the people in Ukraine. And we are hoping that a peaceful solution can be reached and reached really, really soon. I actually have Ukraine in my heritage. One of my grandmothers was from the Ukraine. So it's a little difficult for us, but we are here today to sort of come together with art and come together with our passions and things that inspire us. I know that we all have consciousnesses and we know that things are going on. And we also know that there's another version of Corona that may be on its way to us, but we like to talk about our passions and as artists, we might be the people that actually leave a footprint of, of our era, of our generation, of our culture. And so I think it's a good thing that we are dedicated to our art and we're dedicated to observing what's going on in the world and trying to make sense of it. I think that's what art does. Art tries to make sense out of reality. Today, we're going to have a very unique conversation. We've had a couple of them over the last two years. We've been doing this since April 17, 2020. This is, I think, the 96th consecutive weekend that we're doing. And we've talked about a lot of things over the past two years, but now we're trying to go back out into the world and talk about what we as artists can do now as we're transitioning back into live performance. I want to state unequivocally that I'm never going to give up on virtual. I think virtual is a great tool for many of us. I know for us, for True, it makes a huge difference. It allows us to be global. We have people here today from Germany, Costa Rica, all over the United States. How else could we do that? Kudos, Zoom, you've turned out to be more of a blessing than I ever imagined. But we also have two people today that are going to be talking about a very specific area of the arts, something that a lot of us 
aren't aware of and aren't really knowledgeable about. And some of us in the room today actually are part of that whole world. We're going to talk about participatory theater. And I want you to meet two terrific guests that I'm honored to have with us today. Brisa Ariel Munoz, who is, well, she, she's an expert in devising original participatory theater. She also happens to be the brand new, and those of you who were with us like three or four weeks ago and when we had Musical Theater Factory with us, this is who I was talking about. This is the new artistic director that we couldn't mention three or four weeks ago. So, Brisa, welcome. Well, welcome to everything. Welcome to us. Welcome to Musical Theater Factory. Welcome to new aspects of a very rich life that you've already led and, and you're doing some wonderful things. You are currently, in addition, the artistic director of the New York City Department of Education's All City Theater. And next up, <laughs> next up, I want you to meet somebody that is a colleague of Brisa's. Pablo Hernandez Basulto is the manager of community impact for the public works at the public theater. That's a, a big job too. And that's a pretty high visibility job for us poor folk who are just struggling to get a showcase up. You're at the public theater. How Thanks, cool is, how cool is that? But I do have more free time than Brisa, I think. Do, oh, but minimally, right? <laughs> minimally, but I think here and there, middle of the night, my night is a little more free than Brisa's. <laughs> so, so Brisa, let's start with you. Let's do the ladies first and talk about before we start going into definitions, because I always like to go into definitions because people have assumptions about what things mean and they could mean that, but we want to be talking about the same thing. So when you talk about participatory theater, we want to know what you mean so that we're all on the same page. But tell us a little bit about the work that you do with the city. Thank you, Bob, for this incredible intro. I kind of want to start, if you don't mind, because I feel like it's useful framing to talk a little bit about my history and how I even found myself in this work, because I feel like it helps to sort of peel back the layers of the onion a bit. I'm originally from South Texas, from an area called the Rio Grande Valle, maybe like 20 minutes from the border, southernmost tip. And I came to New York because I was interested in pursuing a master's in applied theater. When I was an undergrad, I didn't even know what applied theater meant or was. I was simultaneously double majoring in neuroscience. And so this sort of intersection between psychology and theater was of interest to me. Just for the record, we, we have a astrophysicist in the room. Actually, we had two. The guy that called in and then left, he's also a physicist. We often visit the corner of art and science. Incredible. You know, when I found myself here in New York, learning this particular field of applied theater. It was because I started to recognize that theater could be a medium for so much more than just entertainment. It's like theater can be for education, for community development, for conflict transformation. And this program of mine really sort of like opened the floodgates for all the different ways we can use this as a medium for social justice work. So when I think about participatory work, I think there's a difference for me between, and you know, there's so much knowledge in this room already, right? But there's a difference for me between participatory and immersive. If I think about immersive, for example, I think about something like sleep no more. I think about an opportunity for audiences to sort of enter a space and be immersed in the action, but not necessarily being like tasked with changing the action. When I think about participation or participatory works, at least for me, it's rooted in a liberatory educational pedagogy. And that is that 
audience members can really be the driving force of the action. And when I think about participation, it's also not just how can we put up a show that examines social justice issues and like engage the audience in that conversation and in that action. But I also think about participation as relationships to communities and how we get communities involved in that work as well. So it's not always just a play that goes up that encourages audiences to participate, but it is also something like public works, which partners with community organizations all across New York City and is asking them to deeply engage in their community through theater making. A lot of things to talk about there. I called the meeting today going off script because I thought, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I thought that the assumption that, that a participatory work had, starts with the script is not necessarily the correct assumption. It's about developing a script or developing a theater experience with your audience. Am I with you so far? Yes, yes, okay. absolutely. So let's turn to Pablo and hear a little bit about your background, how you wound up at the public theater and what the heck you do. Thanks, Bob. What a great facilitator. Let's hear it for Bob. I feel like I'm being like moved very softly from topic to topic already. Hi, everyone. I hope the public theater's internet holds strong, but you will let me know if it doesn't. I somehow found the darkest corner of the public. Some of you might recognize these early Paula Share posters from early 2000s, 90s. I'm Pablo Fernandez Basulto. I was born and raised in Mexico, Cuernavaca, for those of you who are familiar with Mexico. And I came to the U.S. more than eight years ago for college. I went to school in Boston at Northeastern University. Similar to Brisa, I was really feeling like, okay, how can theater be more than entertainment? I worked for the American Repertory Theater over at Harvard, which was an ECT ride over in Boston. And I worked with their community engagement department and education. And I ended up really heavily involved with Anna Devere Smith. I was her facilitator manager for Notes from the Field, a show about the school to prison pipeline, where Anna Devere Smith, if you're not familiar, she is a pioneer of documentary theater, meaning that she does a lot of interviews. And then she recreates those interviews verbatim in her shows and really curates those interviews to illuminate a specific topic. In this play, she wanted the whole audience to break into discussion groups in the middle of the play. So I was part of the team figuring out how to make that happen. And I'm a big logistics guy. I'm a big, well, okay, we got 600 audience members. We got 15 corners. We need 20 signs. We need a basket with food. And then how are we gonna get people there? And how do we keep an experience that people feel comforted by? My experience with that was so fantastic, but also I was really hungry to sort of go to a more grassroots area of theater. So I actually ended up moving to Brazil for a little bit. And I worked with an organization called With One Voice, that this is a choir composed of people experiencing homelessness. And it was basically seven different shelters. We got a guy with a guitar going around Rio de Janeiro, playing songs, teaching songs to people experiencing homelessness, and then coming together and singing. And I was also working a lot with the Augusto Boal Institute. So I have a theater of the oppressed background as well. For those of you who mentioned that in the introductions, that was the sort of like other, the pendulum for me was more of a grassroots area of theater for social change, what it meant to be a social worker. And I heard someone earlier mentioning they were a social worker, what it meant to be really like one-on-one -on -one with people. And I loved both ends, but I really wanted to land somewhere in the middle. And that's how I got to public works. I started here four years ago 
as an assistant. Public Works, if you're not familiar at the Public Theater, has been going on for nearly 10 years. We have eight community partner organizations from around the city of New York, and we engage with community members from these organizations year round through classes, potlucks, workshops, invitations to come see shows. And we really build relationships with these organizations and their communities to get to a point where over the summer, we invite people to do these massive shows in Central Park with 200 people, 100 people sometimes. We ask everyone from these organizations to audition and we end up in these rehearsal rooms that are really are representative of the city of New York. And as Brisa was saying a little bit, turning around that idea of like, well, what is theater for? It can be for many things. I'm not saying we need to pick one, but it can also be for civic engagement, a space to come together as a city, as a community. So that's the idea of public works. What if another responsibility of the public theater is to be a space where the city of New York can come together, see itself represented, build relationships, build a sense of community. So through the pandemic, I eventually now have my title manager of community impact. And yes, it involves a lot of, in terms of like the participation of people, I use the word participation all the time, but what is the actual impact of participation? And just to add a little bit to the idea of what is participatory theater, the community organizations connect to public works through sort of, it's not sort of like an open invite. We've built relationships with people, sometimes through the mobile unit, another program of the public that brings shows around the city. Or we've met amazing leaders, amazing charismatic leaders that end up sort of folding us into their organizations. But I love to say in these kinds of conversations, I see so many theater people here. There's just so much experience and so amazing. I love to say that we all already work in community. We all already do that. To me, it's about being deliberate, about understanding the pathways people had to get there and just being really explicit about either maintaining those or changing who you want to be in relationship with. I think that just as you know, painters have paint, often we have community. I think it's a prime matter of theater. And because we are so much about being in space together, whether that's in person or virtual. And a lot of what I obsess about with participatory theater is just beginning with the acknowledgement that the artist is aware of who is in the room as well and does not take it for granted. So often in my experience, artists build something and then they leave it to a marketing department to find who to sell it to. And that's a very different goal. Who to sell it to is a very different goal than who is the community that's in relationship to this piece by being in this room or space but, together. But I want to say, Pablo, that there's a distinction and it's really a choice. There are artists who start from their own inspiration and what they feel compelled to talk about. Then there are artists who think about the community and what they want to bring, like Marlene's saying that she wants to do something for the Ukraine right now. And it's both are going on all the time. There's all sorts of variations and all sorts of degrees of participation and awareness of community for individual artists. So I just want to focus on what it is that you guys do that is a little different than what a lot of us are used to, because I'm a writer that starts from the script. I mean, that's what I am. I'm an old guy. I'm probably not going to change. So basically, I get an idea or an inspiration and I write it. And then, like you say, we look for an audience. We try to figure out, okay, I've written this. Who is going to be the audience for it? I don't think I'd be averse to being part of a participatory theater experience, but I think that we have a lot of disambiguation to do about it still. There's a lot more to talk about in terms of 
why people might want to think the way that you guys think. Brisa, did we get to what you do with the City Department of Education? We, no. Did we talk about All City Theater yet? This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. No, but I can speak to that program as a way of speaking concretely about how we do take something from the inception of an idea and sort of like explode it and make it into something tangible, right? Four years ago, the All City Theater began. If you can imagine, New York City Department of Education had never, they'd had like an All City Orchestra, they'd had an All City Band, they'd never had an All City Theater. And so I came in as the founding artistic director of that program and really developed what that ended up shaping out. Something unique about this program is that young people from all five boroughs of New York City come together to participate in this program across race, ethnicity, gender identity. But also what's unique about this was it was also in New York City, there's a district, District 75, which is exclusively prioritizing disabled students. And this was the first time that a DOE program had merged students from District 75 with students from performing arts high schools. And so what you'll find in this ensemble of young people are actors who are deaf or actors who are neurodiverse, as well as neurotypical actors, as well as I'm thinking about like a couple of our members that are wheelchair bound. And something new even for this year was, and I'm going to go back to what you said, Bob, about how valuable this medium of being able to be online and be connected all across the world is. Now, for the first time this year, All City has decided to be hybrid for the rest of its life. Because there are students, for example, who are in uh, hospital care who are still students and the only way that they can participate in school is if they participate online, some of whom even have terminal illnesses who never would have had access to a program or to meet other young people because of the circumstances of their lives. And so all of these young people come together and we teach them that the skills already exist within them to create rigorous art making. So we ask them questions about what they're thinking about the world. We find we have a fully sort of stock team in terms of something like four creative associates who sort of support me in the direction of this thing, in addition to a choreographer and a music director, all of whom are professionals in the field, but also have an expertise in how to sort of pull out the ideas of these young people and make them into refined ideas that then can like put itself all together in a musical. And so if I were to give like one example, I'm actually gonna to speak to our music director, Miriam Daly, who is just an incredible artist. She's so well-versed in playing piano and also in improvising, and also in hearing what's being offered and transposing it in live time. That I remember the first session we came and it was like, okay, Miriam's gonna devise a song with these young people. Let's see how she does that. And all she did was like, all right, here's our theme. Who's one person who has an idea for a line, right? Raise your hand. Okay, they raise your hand. They're like, great. If you could sing that line, what would it sound like? They sing it, acapella. She listens to it. She turns it into music. She puts underscoring. She's like, great. Now, can you sing that with music? 
Now they're singing it over with music. She's like, great, got it. Next person, next line. And to think that someone could just sort of grab instantaneously the idea from a young person and be able to sort of turn it into music immediately gave these young people this realization that it's like, oh, wow, yes, it does all exist within me. And all it needs is like the permission to unlock the idea. And then they can trust then that the creative team is going to take care of that idea and find ways to nurture it into what it becomes. That sounds inspiring, my God. Thank you for sharing all that. The thing that I think some people are asking right now is how do they become involved with your program, Brisa, and how do they become involved with the public theater? Is there a pathway to the public theater? I mentioned about the community organizations that we work with. So I answered that question earlier about we so the same are in connection. And so if you know of, because this program is specifically for high school students, if you know of high school students in New York City, we put out the call for auditions for young people to be a part of this ensemble. That's all city theater. Then we've got Musical Theater Factory, which for some of you all who may have been around for the previous panel discussion with Erin Sally, is an organization that works to support musical theater artists in developing their work. And we really choose to have a radical centering. We really try and prioritize and center folks who have not necessarily gotten access to opportunities or resources to tell their story. And so when we think about that, we think about trans, non-binary, queer, people of color. But what's really exciting is that I feel like I get a lot of questions now that I'm sitting in this role around like, is it only for those folks who identify in those identities? And, you know, I like to say that under my leadership, my desire is to make sure that everybody understands why it is important to center these folks and also recognize that there are avenues for everyone of all ages, of all experience levels. And my dream is that this assembly line that musical theater has, which is the various programs that we offer community members as a way to sort of tap into our organization, the hope is that there is an avenue for every single person, regardless of experience, age, et cetera. So we already have some programming that supports that, but my sort of vision and dream is how can we make sure that anyone who has this interest in musical theater, whether it's just the inception of an idea to actually a script that they wanna to continue to develop and like think more rigorously about, that there's a space for them. Plus, now that we have this online hybrid advantage, it's exactly as you said, Bob, an opportunity to build a community that's not just hyper-local to New York City, but across the nation and across the world. Yeah, there's life outside of New York. <laughs> Literally. I suspected it all these years, now I know it. My question to the room is, when you came to this conversation today with your ideas about participatory theater, are they meshing with what you're hearing? And if not, let us know what you were thinking of as participatory theater, and we can talk about those other aspects of this conversation that maybe are a little different than what Brisa and Pablo do, but still could wear the title participatory theater. So all that and, and no hands. Okay. We have uh, Elizabeth Copeland and Stephanie Romo. Let's start with Elizabeth. Well, my question is actually, I get from the panelists what they're doing, and that is my understanding for just sorry theater. I'm also wondering, however, if when you have a for example, a play on a particular topic that is immediately followed by a moderated discussion with the audience. Is that, and I'm not talking talk back, I'm talking discussion around the topic. Does that fall under the participatory theater guidelines that you two have put forth here? I can give an example if it's not clear. I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that actually. 
before I answer, just wanted to say we are talking about participatory theater. So anyone who feels like they want to participate, we can't see your faces, but there's the reactions on Zoom. That's always nice to see. There's the chat. That's always nice to see as well. So you are invited into the room. Thanks, Nico. Thanks for the little hearts. So when I worked at ART and we did notes from the field with Anna Devere Smith, exactly we were describing Elizabeth, not after the play, towards the, the middle, but a little bit more towards the end, the whole audience broke into discussion groups to talk about the themes of the play. The themes were around the school to prison pipeline, racism in America. There was a facilitator in each group. I think it's definitely participatory. I think it's activating the audience to do something about it, you know, to be present in the room, to not be a passive observer. I will say it's very tricky, right? That experience was, was complicated. It was complicated to get folks activated into the themes of the play quickly. The conversations were around 20 minutes in that occasion, and we needed really expert facilitators. But what I think is really awesome as a side effect of it is that because everyone was speaking to each other or was invited to speak to each other, there was a big acknowledgement of the relationships aspect of theater, the community aspect of theater. We're all in this room together. We could speak to a stranger. You know, that invitation and activating that in relationship to the themes of the play, I think is really interesting. I think it definitely connects to the, what we're talking about. I just want to clarify something that's in my head. I hope that everybody will see what I'm saying here. So far, we've been talking about a lot of different things, but two of the things that we've been talking about are participatory theater in which a community of people participate in creating the work. That was what Brisa was talking about. So participatory theater can start with the creation of the work. What Pablo's now talking about is the work has already been created and now we're inviting audiences to participate actively in at least the ideas that are being communicated. We haven't yet talked about situations that I think I've heard of where the audience can actually reshape the form of the show. So the audience actually has a say in what's happening on stage. Are you yeah. aware of pieces like that? Yes, yes, yes. And I was actually going to follow up with exactly that, Bob. We are on the same wavelength. When we talk about participatory works, on one hand, it is as simple to say that it is participatory because you have asked for the audience's voice in the space, even if that's at the tail end of a production, right? What I mean, or not even what I mean when I say, there are various ideas of what participation means, period. So everyone may have their own definition and like they're all true and they're all right. The work that I am, you know, you outlined very nicely, these sort of like three different paths. It's like the community making the work together. There's already a piece, then you find ways to involve the community in that work. And then like their audiences actually can change the action. I am involved in each of those sort of lineages of this work, but I'm most excited about the aspect that is this last one you've just talked about, a space where the audience can actually change the action of a piece. So I'm gonna to speak to a piece that was probably one of the more profound pieces I've experienced of theater. And it was produced in Chicago from this company called Albany Park Theater. Albany Park Theater is like a small neighborhood-based theater that is in primarily a Latina neighborhood. And they brought together this ensemble of young people, Latina young people from Chicago. And they partnered with the city and they acquired a five-story abandoned high school. And they had these young people devise and develop a participatory show that allowed audiences to enter this school and enter and feel like what it would be like 
to be a high school at that this fictitious high school that they created. So imagine walking in those doors, all of a sudden being like bombarded by security and having to go through metal detectors, right? To start to like get our like visceral reminders. If you grew up in New York City, you know, this is like something that you might, you know, experience the standard way of entering a space. And they send you to the guidance counselor. You're a new student. You're being inducted into role just by the ways that they are speaking to you. Oh, so nice to see you. You're new here, right? Great. Can you go to the guidance counselor? It's over there. Oh, you know what? Over here, Javier is going to take you over to the guidance counselor office and he's going to make sure you get your badge. So you go and you take your little picture and you get your little school ID. And then it's like, okay, Maria's going to go and take you to your first class. She takes you to your first class. You enter the space. All of a sudden it's like bell rings. You're noticing that like in this school space, you've got a mix of both audience members, but also these young performers who are all sort of built into this classroom space and a teacher hands out a test, right? And you now have to take it, even though you definitely did not study because you didn't even know you were supposed to take a test today. And all of a sudden you start taking this test and then action starts happening around you. You start to watch these young people fidgeting or getting nervous about the fact that they didn't study for this test. You see all of a sudden these panels that like you would imagine are like the school roof all of a sudden move aside and these lights come out from above and start putting lights on the front of the classroom where we now watch this teacher perform this choreo poem about what it's like to be a teacher within this particular school, right? I'll give you one more example, which is like, Okay, so that's you not necessarily informing the action, right? You're watching it around you, you're in it, you're immersed in it, but no one's really asking you to change the course of the action. So bell rings, a student comes up to me, hey, you know, I'm gonna take you to your next class. You're walking over to your next class. All of a sudden you see this young person who's like, hey, come here. And they're like, pull you off into this janitor's closet and you don't know what's going on and you don't know what they're trying to do. And you think that maybe they're trying to get you to sell drugs for them. All of a sudden he like reveals the inside of his coat and it's all candy bars. And he's like testing my math skills because now it is my task to go and start selling candy to audience members all across the school. And now all of a sudden I'm informing the action. I'm going up to random people in this hallway with these Snickers or Kit Kats and be like, hey, do you, you know, would you like to, you know? So that's what I'm talking about. This delicate line of actually having audience members be put in charge of a task that then all of a sudden informs the world that you're now living in. Okay, I want to come back to the room again. Stephanie Rummel, you had something? Yes. Um, and and the, the other thing I want to say is that everybody bring in your own examples of participatory theater, whether you think they're right or wrong, so that you can share with it. I'm actually trying to turn this into participatory theater. Can you tell? So, so Stephanie, you're up next. Yeah, I came in because I want to also be inspired by online interactive aspects, which I haven't, maybe parts which I don't do in my show. The audience is like here we can talk and interact and it's a real cabaret feeling but I'm, I'm looking for and we can have breakouts and so on but the, the question is what else can we do except chat and breakouts i've seen by the living record festival where i'm in an option where people created a stage design in 3d and they let the audience the end of the story recreate and use the props and created all the settings and you would see the hats and faces of the people being in the show and react on the story and create it by themselves. I've seen that. That's an example. So these are my two points. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 
Six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So, very interesting point. I mean, basically, you're asking the question about how about virtual participatory theater. Yes. Have either of you guys been involved in anything that was participatory that and that was virtual? Thank you. Yes. Yes, Go I have. <laughs> There's this form of participatory work that is called process drama, which is exactly what I'm talking about that puts audience members in the driver's seat. And we created a piece about the Philippine American War so that participants can understand more clearly about the circumstances that led up to basically the occupation of the Philippines by United States hands. And in that circumstance, it was an in-person piece that then when we moved online, we partnered with a children's theater. And what we did was there were opportunities, for example, for audience members to be inducted into role and they would investigate items or objects that they were finding along the way as a way to give more information about the context or circumstances of the story. So something that we did, for example, was we would have done that in person, what we call roll in a bag, where you just put a bag in the center of a space and you put a spotlight on it and, oh, look, the soldiers left his bag. Does anyone want to examine the contents of this bag so we can understand who this person is in the world? And so the ways we transform that for online space is we actually pre-sent these objects to participants who had signed up so that they actually could pull out a bag. We asked, don't look in it yet until like the performance happens, right? And then in that moment where we said, all right, we have to investigate this bag. Every participant had their little bag, you know, that they could sort of open up and pull out and say, oh, look, here's a note. I'm going to read that out loud, right? So I found that objects ended up being, and like making sure that these audience members had an opportunity to sort of viscerally feel the sort of tactileness, right, of these pieces that are in relation to the text to help advance the plot. That was one of the ways, for example, that we were trying to be participatory even in this online space. Well, we've got a whole lineup now of questions or comments or sharings. So Eva, you're with us now, so share with us. I know you talked about the forum, so do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? First of all, thank you both so much. I love the work that you're doing. I'm super psyched. I'm going to have to figure out how we connect all that at another time. Our work focuses a lot on forum theater and a lot of the theater of the oppressed groups that are both in New York City and in the tri-state primarily use the forum theater model. And the forum theater model is participatory in the same sense that it does Initially, the work gets created in the sense that you're talking about, Bob, this question of working with a group from the community. They might be actors, they might not be, they might be performers, they may be children. In our case, we have very intergenerational presentations. And so this group creates an original work, usually around the theme that they've identified as being relevant and needing to be addressed in the community. And then the participation though goes further in the sense that the piece gets presented, it is presented in full flesh and then the audience engages in this dialogue with what Boal calls the joker, right? And with, in our case also with some of our young actors and then 
they engage in a discussion about what they saw, what the oppression is, who's being oppressed. So, what, Bruce, what Bruce I, see, I see you nodding with familiarity. So, you do you know Forum and all that? Have you worked with that yes, also? Pablo and I both do. We both have experience with it. And it's another right. example, as you mentioned, of an opportunity for audiences to make a change in the action of the larger mm -hmm. and kind of intervene. I don't know, Pablo, I, you have so much. I mean, Pablo worked directly with Augusto Boal's son, Julian Boal, when he yeah, was in the field. So. Yeah, so did I. I worked with Augusto Boal when he was here in the 80s. And That's so fantastic. he had, when he did his first workshop at the Brecht Forum, the That's New fantastic. York Brecht Forum, yeah. We he just, writes about it in his book, as a matter of fact, that whole incident that happens with this woman. That's another day's conversation. We just had yeah. Theater of the Oppressed Day this week. So happy, yeah, yeah. happy to, to the, also celebrate. I think actually this is a great moment to acknowledge something I was saying earlier that I just really want to underline. Because it's a room filled with creators, I heard a lot of you be creators of work. I think it's really important to say it's not only about the what of the participatory aspect of it, it's so but much the about the, the who, yeah. who is there. And I understand that feels like it's a different conversation. I promise you the participatory thing does not work if you're not taking into account who's there. You could have the most creative experience about this brilliant idea of how you're going to activate the audience. Everyone's going to come in. They're going to do this thing. They're going to touch X thing. They're going to ask this character. But if you haven't thought about who gets in the room, it doesn't do the things that you think it does. I think we can often like stay in this bubble, right? And a lot of the work I'm doing in terms of what it means to be participatory is about acknowledging the pathways of the people who feel like theater is something that they can access, that they feel in relationship to theater as an art form and deliberately changing those art forms. My work has a lot to do with like white supremacy and elitism in theater. So that's one thing, but there are many, many ways to go about it. I just really want to underline that when you're thinking about the artistic how and the what, it can, it's so much about the who is in the room. So I'm going to move us forward because I've got four people with their hands up. This is exciting. And I just want to say to, to Janet that you're about to have your question answered by somebody. So Eric Rothman, bring your virtual reality into the room. <laughs> Hi there. I'm not actually going to talk about virtual reality, oh. which I think really is central to all the things that you're doing is another way to assist with it and exploit it. But what I want to ask is there are a lot of different kinds of participatory theater in New York and online and interactive theater and online games that of all different kinds. Is there a community that you know of that sort of organizes all of these people where they all communicate together and congregate virtually or in person? And what is the community of these participatory communities? I have to say that because it has existed for a long time, and I would still say it's a very siloed, insular field. I think there are a lot of people who are doing it. And I think that the proper spaces for people to be coming together, there are some that exist. If we even think about, for example, Theater of the Oppressed NYC, right? That is like looking at a particular form, cultivating a group of people who are interested in those participatory modalities. But something that I've found is that there is not yet, this work is becoming closer to becoming more mainstream and more and more people right. understanding what it is, but we are not there yet, I believe. Curious what you think about that, Pablo. 
Eric, if you get a group together, I'm happy to show up to your Zoom. But the Public Works model has a version of this. We have a thing called Public Works National. So it's a network of other nonprofit theaters doing similar programs. So you might have heard Seattle Rep has Seattle Rep's Public Works, Public Works Dallas in Dallas Theater Center. The National Theater in London has Public Acts. And we have a bunch of other theaters in relationship with us. It is not as broad as it could be because what I love that you're bringing up, Eric, is how much the aspect of participatory connects us to that blurry line of is it theater, is it not? Like, I love the idea of game design, participatory, you know, all those things are fantastic. And I do think we all have things to learn from each other. The thing that I am aware of is sort of like this relationship of theaters doing participatory work with community organizations. So it's Mm -hmm. a lot narrower than what you're describing. But it's I so have, helpful to be in relationship with each other. I so agree with that. I have three meetups, Story Code, Story Forward, and NYXR. And I'd love to make them more than they are a center for this sort of thing. Just promise you'll come back to us also, Pablo. I will. <laughs> Before I became in charge, of the Story Code used to meet up at the film Society of Lincoln Center. And they were doing uh, a lot. You guys should together. email each other and talk about this. I want to get well, to the I, other questions. There's three more. Also, Eric, I just want to say that Musical Theater Factory has an XR wing, so we should talk. Hi, I loved it so far. I really have, because I didn't know what I was going to get from this. A question. I did a show called One Night Only, which was improv. And to to me, that falls under participatory because it's, you know, you have the audience feeding you info. A question, though, as a producer, what I also learned from that is that unless you can guarantee the quality of a show every single night, all right, for a paying audience, You can't put it on. And ultimately, we had to stop it. I'm interested to know, because this doesn't sound like it's improv. It sounds like it's lots of other things with participation. How do you control the quality so ticket buyers feel like, you know, every night, whenever they go, they're walking away with the same quality that you had the first night or the fifth night? It is very important. It's a very important conversation. I remember having a conversation with a producer who's no longer there at the public. And they were asking the exact same question of me something like five years ago. Yeah. And I think I, I started to break down like a few assumptions. So I said that a lot of times people can think about devised theater as poor theater or bad theater. And I interrogated why that was. And my argument was that this work is not as robust as it could be because there is not enough understanding of what it is and what it could be on behalf of the entity that is hoping to produce it. There are not enough resources that are allocated in order to make this thing the best thing possible. And there's not enough time to really get it right. A lot of times there is not enough resources going into what these processes are, but it's not even just about what the institution could do to provide more time and resources. It's also about what is the expertise and level of leadership in that room? Who is your director? How much knowledge do they have about this line between participation and performance? And a lot of times my particular expertise is in strengthening actors' ability to both be the best performers they can be on that stage, but also know exactly how to improvise and be responsive to what is being given and dynamize that into an exciting way to experience things that wouldn't have otherwise happened unless that person said that thing right now, right? And catalyzed that moment. So for me, it feels a little bit like 
there's a the gap in understanding, even within audiences of what they're about to experience, right? You take a poll too of people. There are some people who are like, oh no, I want, it's participatory. I want nothing to do with that, right? Because maybe the experiences they have had with this work right. are some in which it was boring or it wasn't executed well, or they're being asked to engage but they don't know why. What's the function of our engagement in this moment other than pure participation, right? I sometimes think that the pedagogy behind why we're asking audiences to engage and how you can get them invested in that work is the, I think, responsibility of the creative team that is working mm -hmm. to create yeah. the project. I have a question though. Do you use the word devised? Because when you said that, it's like I cringe thinking that's, it hits me as a negative. I've never heard that word used in the participation part. I haven't. Yeah. And but if you think about it, division, it has the No, devise, devise, D-E-V-I-S. D-E. -E. Not divisive. As in constructed oh, by. Divide. Okay. okay, but that has to do with someone's accent. Whether you hear the D or the D, right? <laughs> because I heard it as, oh my God, they're calling it devised? No, I mean, it's devised, I, devised theater, meaning it's... it's it's, it's devised to devise something. You, well, you guys know it, but when you're talking about the, the rest of the world, and so if you're talking about participatory, everybody got it, okay? There's words everybody knows outside of our industry, because I made a career switch into this industry. I've already, already made a point of the fact that the participatory is not a specific genre. It describes several genres, and it probably describes more genres than we're even describing today. Pablo, you had something that you wanted to respond to, Murray. I just think that's such a good question, Mary. I know there's more questions in line, but I think that's such a good question. And I'm going to sound like a broken record. Gift? Do I get a quick question award or something? You, you I will give you, you it. Could. I will give you a question award. Don't worry. <laughs> um, ice cream. I'm going like to sound like a broken record, but I think the quality of the show has also a lot to do with who is in the room. There is no totally. one taste, right, of what is good theater. To me, good theater, there's many different, you know, definitions. For me, a good theater is a good gathering. With public works, there was a huge focus when it was beginning 10 years ago to say, this is not going to be, and I feel very strongly about this, it's not going to be pity. It's not going to be like, oh, well, wasn't that cute? Wasn't that nice? No, it's going to be an entertaining, ambitious piece of theater that you are moved by. And um, also, to be, to be completely realistic about it, Murray, there are audience members out there that are just not going to be right for this experience. You have to know who your audience is, and you have to also make it possible for that audience to find you. Not everybody is going to relate to this necessarily. Other people that want to go see Come From Away, they want to see Les Mis. And I love those, I love those shows, and I love those people. We're talking about broadening the toolbox for everybody. We're just talking about adding a couple additional tools that you might want to think about as artists. Somebody made a comment before about... We were talking about the actors improvising work, and they were saying actors are not writers, which is true. The experience that you're going to have with a skilled writer sitting down and creating a script, or even creating the skeleton of a script that could be fleshed out with a participatory element, is going to be different than the experience that where the actors themselves are improvising. I actually hadn't even thought of it. It's obvious, but I hadn't thought of it. Well, Improvisation we, is a part of participatory theater. It is an aspect of it. We came away with, with two things. One, how the questions are asked to the audience. You have to control those so you can get a controlled response that you're going to be able to work with. And a, a lot of it has to do with that. So it has a lot of effort on the actors and a lot of effort on the directors at the time, more than anything before. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Again, to go back to a basic point that I've been making tonight, there are like a thousand different ways of doing this. <laughs> and Thank you. And it, it's up to the artist and it's up to the producer to find their way to that which speaks to them. You have to be doing this because you have a passion for it. You have to be doing this because you're inspired to do it. And different things inspire different people. It's just, we're human beings. We're like a lot of different people here on this planet. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. I want to, want to move on to Tracy Swedlow. We have Tracy, then we have Paul, and then we have Marlene Tabor. So, Tracy. Hi. So much that I would like to say, but I can try to compress it. You know, since day one in studying theater, they were always trying to teach us how to do immersive and interactive theater, right? And it was always very, very difficult to do. And coming up with those new ideas was difficult. I have two examples that I'll do very quickly. And then I have a question. One was, like you were talking about, Brisa, immersive sort of lived experience. I was at camp once when I was a kid. We did a three-day program. It always happens at camps. It was about pretending you're a Jewish Russian refusenik. And it was three days trying to escape out of Russia. Long story. It was a fantastic experience. If you have questions about that, I'm happy to tell people about that experience. The other one was in Chicago, also another Chicago story with an old theater company called the Anonymous Theater Company. And they were putting on the Brady Bunch, which of course turned into the Brady Bunch movie. This is an old example. And they invited people from the audience who signed up to participate in the commercials that would interrupt the staging of the actual scripts of the Brady Bunch. So individuals from the audience had an interest in participating and the audience had a vested interest in watching the commercials, which were monetized by the theater and commercials were from local vendors that surrounded the theater. So it was an interesting change on participation theater, and it was also monetized. So I just wanted to sort of make that as an example. But the question I have is, I'm actually working on a project right now. And one of the questions is, the show is a completely interactive and participation experience, where they need 20 volunteers from the audience to be the show, essentially, and from the audience, and they call them in a volunteer way. And you know, we're tossing around the idea of whether or not people should sign up rather than be called voluntarily, whether they should pay to be a volunteer. Because the other problem with that is because they want anybody who shows up on stage these days to be vaxxed. So there's this whole new layer in a participation theater where it can't just be anyone. It's got to be someone who the actors on stage are comfortable with. And then do you have them pay to participate and to be vaxxed? So there's that whole ecosystem I wish it were 5.30 because this could be an hour conversation. Oh, sorry. But anyway, the point I'm making is that... No, I don't um, mean you. I mean just the question that you posed. All right. Well, many are complaining in the time of, you know, greater sophistication and media and cynicism about things that we see in participatory theater. Audiences are often, like, assuming participating members of the public to be stooges, even if they aren't. And there's that issue as well. So I kind of wanted you to address the monetizing issue, the economy, and how you make participation feel authentic rather than staged. Do you each want to try to do that one in a condensed version? Because <laughs> I know I'm losing you guys at, at six. It's great. 
Let's do it. The ethics around the payment are so tough. We have some of that. I think it could be really, I would happy to talk about it more with you, but I think it would be really strange for people to pay if they're the ones making the show for the rest. That seems a little strange to me. But what's like, Brisa, if you have something more general, because I have so many specific questions. If you have something more general to get us started, I'm happy to jump in after. I think it's a tricky one. I think it goes back to the who that Pablo was talking about. Who is this for? Yeah. And is this about giving folks access to a process that never been a part of before? And there should then be no barriers for that to be possible. Or is it folks who are interested in learning, who understand that by paying into this, they're getting access to a process. Maybe I'm thinking about like educators or about directors who want to be like expanding their forms. It all depends on the context who is right to charge, right? And who is not <laughs> right to charge. Yeah. Uh, Which is always, based, by the way, it's always a question in all aspects of theater and yeah. all, all, all aspects of the entertainment world. And I really agree with Bob about, obviously, there are definitely people out there who they wanted to see come from away and this will not be the show that they will want to come see. But, you know, I find so much usefulness when I take a moment to separate theater, the art form from theater, the industry. And that gives me a little bit of space to realize all the other ways in which there are people that would be interested in this work. There are a lot of folks that are devoted to theater, the industry, and that, you know, the theater, the industry has been a home for me as well. I work for a, definitely I am in it. But when I start to do less conventional work, I need to go back to theater, the art form. And I think about it as people coming together and telling a story And I start realizing, you know, how much that happens in other contexts. And that starts to illuminate other different kinds of communities I could collaborate with. Like people meet on Sundays at church and they come together into a room and tell stories. I mean, people have a million examples of this, but that could sort of illuminate people who are not stooges, as you say, that are not devoted to theater to industry and that maybe they're right for that kind of work. Not to say that they're always stooges. I love the industry as well. Not to generalize. I hope that's clear. A lot of questions that are getting asked and are opening up interesting discussions. I'd like them to continue on through email if possible. So I want to move to, I've got Paul and Marlene. And Paul and Marlene, we have literally five minutes for your questions. and for, okay, Bob, for the along the lines of what Pablo had said a few questions ago about audience participation. And by the way, it's good to see the public represented here. Oscar Eustace over the years has been very supportive of my work as a playwright. I wanted to share something I saw last spring. It was a Zoom experience. It was a participatory experience. A theater group in Athens last spring during one of the heights of the pandemic did sort of a mind meld of the plague of Thebes from the Oedipus of Sophocles with the current pandemic in Athens. And so what they did was they had a worldwide Zoom staging of Oedipus, and they also had breakout rooms on Zoom so audience members individually could participate and interact with Oedipus and Jocasta and Creon. And it was quite, there was so much resonance and relevance. We got a plague and we got a plague. Is this the plague in the play or is this the plague in Athens going on now? And we would see shots from outside the theater in Athens and how the city was dealing with that. Is there I, I wanted to share, share that experience, which was a paid event. And it makes me tempted to take my current play the women who fought Russia's war in the Ukraine and stage it in one of the European battlefields this year. Anyway, that's it. Okay, so that was a share, not a question. So that's fine, because then we have one last. Marlene, you're going to be our finale. Okay, I'll do this quickly. Uh, A few years ago, not a few years ago, more than that, 
I was a guest somewhere in Moscow, and they invited me to give a lecture on the commercial theater. And so it was very formal, and I got out on the stage. I'm quite comfortable on the stage. And I began a speech that I memorized. And all of a sudden, I looked out of the theater, and I said, I don't have an idea of who I'm talking to. So I just stopped. And I started to ask the audience, does anyone here speak English? And why are you here? And are you interested in that? The whole audience exploded. And the person that ran the cultural center said, we never saw that happen before. And he put it on the internet. So that was certainly interactive. And then the next one was, I was invited to Canada to do a lecture in physics because I had developed some material relating to physics and chaos theory and theater. And then they invited me, there was a big conference and the head of the conference says, Marty, we don't need another lecture. So I turned it into slides and music and audience participation so that the, they would understand the material so it wasn't too academic. And the one thing that I agree with is that Marie, I think the producer or the person on stage has to be in control, even though it seems like they're not. I learned that from stand-up comedy years ago. If you're working in clubs or any, if you have any experience working with audiences, you're the person that has to be in control or you haven't got the craft. Thank you, Marlene. <laughs> I'm just going to ask my two guests if they have anything they want to add before I do my ending. Just that it's really heartening to see all of the folks within this community that are already experimenting with this work. It's so nice to not feel alone and siloed. It is nice that this work is evolving as time evolves. And so I'm just grateful to be here to be in collaboration with all of you all who are already doing such tremendous work. Thank you, Brisa. And Pablo? Oh, we lost Pablo. <laughs> is it either, either had to leave or his internet went out. He did know. He did prepare us with this public theater Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> I want to basically and by thanking both of you for being with me today, I appreciate it. Considering I do this every week and we're on week 96, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful to have you here. And if you have any thoughts about other people that you think might be interesting guests for us, please share them with me, I would appreciate that. We do this to create community, which is one of the things we've been talking about today. Welcome to True Participatory Theater, every Friday at five o'clock. I do offer this for free because we've been going through two years of shutdown and people have been having, you know, frustrations and difficulties. I do ask that you consider the possibility of giving a donation or registering and paying a small amount. $7 is the least that we ask of people. I would direct you to truedonate.com, T-R-U-Donate.com to help us out. I would invite you to email us at T-R-U staff, true staff one, T-R-U-S-T-A-F-F one at gmail.com. If you'd like to be put on the Zoom list and be invited on Fridays and join us and become part of the community, love to have you. You might want to be part of it. It's a real community with people sharing their experiences and talking to each other. That's it for this week, everyone. Thank you. We need to talk about anything Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.
Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.